it will give you more control over that remote control where you've got five different TV channels. So going. rather than me holding the remote yeah. thinking I'm not in control of yeah. anything, yeah. it's me holding the remote knowing, okay, I can change the channel yes. when I want. And I actually need to do this for the next So medication can minutes. do that? Yeah. We have with us Dr. Shai. So hi, Dr. Shai. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so in terms of my experience, uh, I'm a consultant psychiatrist. Um, I've been working in adult ADHD for several years. Okay. I've seen probably four to 5,000 patients now. Oh, wow. Um, across both the NHS as well as in private practice. Um, and I've recently developed my own website. And what's your website called? Um, my website is www.adhdhealthclinic.co.uk. Okay. And on that website, you will see lots of information about what is ADHD, the latest scientific research about ADHD, which I keep updating, and how you can book an assessment to see me. Okay, thank you for coming. So the first question I have is, what is ADHD? We hear the word a lot, mm. but what does it actually stand for? What does it actually mean? So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Yep. Okay. In what medical, does that mean? Well, so in medical terminology, it's yeah. a neurodevelopmental condition. In, in the ADHD community, we call it a neurodivergent condition. Yeah. But essentially, it means it's present from childhood. Okay. And it persists through to adulthood. And yeah. we know in more than half the cases, it's persisting beyond the age of 18 years. Okay. What does it mean? Yeah. So it's broken down into two sets of symptoms. There are nine attention and concentration symptoms yeah. and nine hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. As in an adult, as an adult, you have to score at least five out of nine in one of those categories. Okay. Or you might score it in both. Yeah. And there are three different forms of ADHD. Mm. So the most common form yeah. is called combined type ADHD. And That's what it. does that mean? So... Combined type means it's a combination of inattentive symptoms mm. and hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. Okay. And that happens in about 70 to 80% of cases. Okay. Yeah. The next most common form is predominantly inattentive okay. type ADHD. Yeah. Where you're scoring more than five out of nine on the inattentive symptoms, but less than five out of nine on the hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. Yeah. That's in about 10 to 15% of cases. Okay. In adults. Yeah. And then the rarest form mm. is predominantly hyperactive okay. type ADHD. That's the rarest form. That's the rarest form that's in really adults. That's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's where you're scoring more than five out of nine on the hyperactive impulsive symptoms and less than five out of nine on the um, inattentive symptoms. Okay. And you've explained that in a really lovely way. But if we were to see a presentation of that, how would the inattentive look? Okay. So the inattentive type, in my experience, well, first of all, it might look as though um, the person will be telling you, I actually wasn't the traditional hyperactive child at school. Yeah, they, they weren't actually, the ones climbing the walls or no, yeah, okay. getting into trouble. Yeah. Um, in fact, they were probably very well behaved. Mm. They were probably quite quiet and they were quietly doodling away in their notebooks. Yeah. Staring out the window, just looking at other things going like on. Like a wandering in the mind, thinking about things. Yeah, daydreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that might be mentioned in their reports. Yeah. But that's only mentioned by particularly attentive teachers. Yeah. So actually, if you're very well behaved nowadays, even in schools, you're not going to get picked up at all. Yeah. Um, the inattentive type 
really breaks down into three further types of symptoms. Yeah. First one is difficulties around attention and concentration. Okay. So sustaining attention and concentration. Mm. The second one is difficulties around working memory. Mm. So people will say that they often lose or misplace items. Yeah. Um, that they're generally very forgetful. Some mm. people are so forgetful to the extent where they can forget their own personal hygiene, mm. forgetting to brush their teeth. Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, forgetting their da daily shopping items. Mm. But then there's also a social component to that forgetfulness. Yeah which is forgetting to respond to messages, yeah, forgetting yeah. your close friend's birthdays, yeah. forgetting your partner's birthday. Mm. And then that can affect work as well, that forgetfulness, yeah. forgetting appointments with clients, double booking yourself, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And then the third set of symptoms is around executive dysfunction and organization. Yeah. So one of the most common symptoms that I see within the inattentive symptoms is procrastination, Yeah. right? I, I see that in nearly all my clients. Mm. Um, so procrastination means that they're leaving particularly complex or mundane tasks till the deadline. Yeah. And they'll describe a history of this throughout their entire life. So at school, not doing their homework, fine. But you might say, well, lots of kids don't do their homework. Mm. University, needing extensions for deadlines for their assignments. Yeah. Going further into their life, work mm. not submitting their work on time being yeah. constantly chased by managers eventually being performance managed that can have a real impact on yes. someone's life if someone hasn't been picked up that they may have adhd the the long-term impacts on on an individual's life because of that mm. can be detrimental absolutely yeah. absolutely and in fact in order to make the diagnosis yeah there are a few different criteria mm. And one of them is it should significantly impair your functioning in at least two areas of life. Yeah. So if we looked at the different areas where it can affect, mm. first one, which um, is quite a big one actually, is emotionally. Yeah. So people with ADHD describe what's called emotional dysregulation. This yeah. is a medical term. What that means is that within the day, they can experience up and downs quite strongly, yeah. actually, and struggle to regulate that. If left untreated, 70 to 80% of people with ADHD will go on to develop chronic anxiety and depression. Yeah, yeah, I see that. And then there's the th final concept within the emotional impact of ADHD, which is something called as rejection-sensitive dysphoria, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which you probably come across in your yeah. line of work. So rejection-sensitive dysphoria, so dysphoria mm. comes from the Greek word, which means intense pain or suffering. Yeah. So rejection-sensitive dysphoria in ADHD is the intense fear of failure or mm. rejection. Yeah. Now, what that might look like is people have told me they've not even applied for certain jobs mm. because of the fear of not getting that job. Yeah. Rejection in relationships, the yeah. fear of that. Mm. What that can then lead to is people being very sensitive about others' feedback about them. Yeah. Worrying a lot about what other people think about them. Yeah. That might then lead them to socially withdraw or develop lots of social anxieties as well. Yeah. So the emotional area is, is a big area mm -hmm. um, of impact in ADHD. But if it's also not picked up, do you find that people can mask it or find 
unhealthy coping strategies to help them manage it throughout their life. So even as an adult, they may not notice that they have ADHD because they've found coping strategies to to help them remember things or to help them manage their anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where this concept of high functioning ADHD comes about. So I've had clients who on the out on the sort of outward appearance of it yeah have done educationally well yeah They've gone on to get good jobs mm. but there's one common theme that they describe throughout this which is basically burnout yeah yeah so they'll say i've had to work or study much harder than my peers to achieve the same thing yeah then i went on to work mm. And I'm having to work so much harder than everyone else yeah. to achieve the same result. Or I'm putting in a lot of work mm. after hours when everyone else has gone home or at what, working at home nowadays because I've been not able to be productive enough during the day. Yeah. Over time, that can really lead to burnout. Yeah, and we I see that imagine. a lot where people yeah. actually take time off work, off mm. sick. Um, and one common thing that they'll also describe is even though outwardly I've done well, mm. I don't feel I've met my potential. It's that imposter syndrome yes. within, yeah. So educationally, they don't feel they've met their potential, but also in their career, they don't feel they're meeting their potential. Mm. Um, so it's a common myth, yeah. right? That, oh, well, if you've done academically well, or you've done well in your career, you can't have ADHD. That's absolutely not true. Mm. And when we, so you talk about inattentive and you talk about the high functioning side of ADHD and the um, masking that people can present. So you can't really tell that people have ADHD. Mm. Then you mentioned about the hyperactive side of ADHD. Mm. How does that present? How does that show up in someone? Okay. So interestingly, it can show up quite differently in children and in adults. Okay. How? So that hyperactivity is essentially an excess energy. Mm. Okay. In children, that's normally seen outwardly. Okay. Right? So that is where you get the classical physically fidgety, squirming in their seat, moving around, running around all over the place, mm. struggling to sit down, that type of thing. Mm. That you that you would have thought of a classical image of an probably an ADHD boy. Yeah. Yeah. As an adult, that excess energy almost moves inwards so how does that show up so it it shows up uh, well it feels kind of like an internal restlessness Mm. okay so people might describe for example feeling very physically restless if they Mm. have to remain still or seated yeah yeah they might be squirming around in their seats some people use fidget toys yeah yeah and some people, it's so bad that they have to actually, they end up making excuses to leave that work meeting, for example, to mm. use the bathroom, yeah. just to stretch their legs. It almost feels uncomfortable. The other form of that is what, what's known in research as excessive mind wandering, yeah. right, which is extremely common in ADHD, and it's not part of the diagnostic criteria, Okay, um, where people describe essentially feeling that their mind can't switch off. Mm. So I've had a very nice description that I had from uh, a patient once who had this in quite a severe form. They said it's it feels like there's three TV channels on, mm. two radio channels on, and I don't have the remote control for any of them. Wow. Wow. So when we look at the 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 the, the label yeah. of attention deficit, mm. 
it's not really a deficit of attention. When you say attention deficit, it makes someone else think that person's not thinking anything. Mm. It's completely the opposite. Yeah. There's a dysregulation of attention. Mm. So they're not homing their attention appropriately mm. and their attention is dispersing in 10 different things all at once. Yeah. And if you have that going on, it's very hard to sustain focus on one of thing course. at a time. Yeah. And then within that dysregulation, you can have moments of what's called hyperfocus. Okay. And what is hyperfocus? So hyperfocus is when someone might latch onto a task or a topic mm. that particularly interests them. Yeah. And then all of their attention can go into that task mm. to the extent where they might even forget to eat or drink. Wow. So is it the way that I um, hear people say or talk about um, hyperfocus, it's like going down a rabbit hole and yeah. not being able to stop. It's yeah. just I'm going through, I'm going and yeah. not being able to focus on anything else because yeah. this is the only thing yeah. that they see. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's typically so attention and memory in ADHD yeah. is typically linked to your emotions. Mm. OK, so. People will to sustain focus on areas of passion. Now, someone yeah. might say, well, that happens to everyone, doesn't it? Mm. If you're interested in something, you're going to sustain. But this is a sort of disproportionate amount of attention. Yeah, I've had people tell me they've sat on certain things that they've been passionate about for 18 hours yeah. ago. Yeah. But then normally they wouldn't be able to sit still for 10 to 15 minutes on many other things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that dysregulation of attention that's going on not a deficit so why is that why is, why are people able to do that what's going on in the brain for someone to be able to stay so focused on something and not even think about anything else i guess it's it's going back to what's actually going on with the attention yeah they're not able to regulate their attention appropriately yeah. So it's not that there's a complete lack of attention. Yes, there might be a complete lack of attention for 90% mm. of things, but then for 10% of things, yeah. they're super focused. Yeah, yeah. Because so I often hear people say, they say when there's something stimulating for yes. them, they'll be hyper-focused on it. Yeah. And people talk about hyper-focus being a superpower yeah. or hyper-focus allowing them to get work done. Yeah. So it feels like that's what hyper-focus people see as a good thing as well. Yeah. But from your opinion, how do you see it? So I've I've spoken about this as a superpower in another video and there was a lot of comments about this. Okay. So I think this is a good point time to probably address that. Um if that hyperfocus is only happening for a very small proportion of mm. your task, which is my experience with most ADHD yeah. patients, then what about the rest of the time when it's not happening? Mm. Which is my experience with ADHD patients in yeah. fact. Yeah. So those periods are generally very short-lived, mm. yeah? Um, for the majority of patients, there's so much problem with sustaining attention on tasks for yeah. the majority of things, it is causing a problem and that's when you should have it looked at. Okay, yeah? okay. So we focused on um, the inattentive, mm. the hyperactive, and then you mentioned the combined. Mm. So how does the combined show up? They've come to see me because it's causing an impact in their life. Yeah. Because if it's not, why would you come to see someone? Why mm. would you want help? Yeah. Right. So the way it would show up actually is I'm having issues with work, for yeah. example. Right. And it's being picked up by my managers, mm. as an example. Um, they've noted that I'm not paying attention in conversations uh, at work. They've noted I've missed instructions from meetings. Mm. I have misread emails and yeah. not uh, uh, responded to the client appropriately, right? 
um, which has been picked up on. Mm. Um, it might show up in education. Mm. So I get so I I manage or I assess and manage uh, um, adults with ADHD, um, and I get university students mm. come to me who are saying they're struggling to complete their tasks, um, their their assignments on time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that they're finding that they're constantly doing everything last minute mm. and that this has been a pattern their whole life. Yeah. And they've had to ask for extensions of deadlines and then they get capped, mm. marked at their essays so they don't achieve what they should have achieved, Yeah. essentially. Um, it shows up in other areas in life, for example, um, in women yeah. because there's a link between ADHD and the menstrual cycle. Okay. So it might show up at certain stages um, in women, for example, when they're going through menopause. Yeah. Um, it shows up in people who tell me I'm having issues in my relationships. Mm. That's a big one. I see that a lot where yes. one partner may feel like they, they there's something wrong with them, but mm. not really sure. And yeah. I use the word wrong because yeah. they, that's what they believe. Yeah. Because they don't understand that there's another way or something's going on within their mind. And yeah. that's why they're presenting in the way that they are. Yeah. And it can cause a lot of disruption because they they don't understand or their partner may not understand. So having a diagnosis, often it's not about oh, look, I've, I've got a label. It's mm. more about understanding and deep diving into making sense of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's also about a form of counselling and coaching yeah. where it's not just counselling and coaching for the person who has the ADHD. Yeah. It might be for help for the partner Yeah. as well. Yeah. Because partners will often feel that they're carrying a certain burden, mm. actually. Okay. And that's how I've heard it being described. Yeah. They're the ones looking after all the household admin and chores. Mm. You know, they're the ones that are picking up more of the responsibility in terms of the kids. Mm. Um, so having an understanding of why that's coming across that way. Yeah. Because otherwise it might just be perceived as laziness, yeah. for example. Mm. That's a big very, one. A lot of people yes. will say, I feel lazy or I feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah. But then I suppose, okay, I feel like I've got to this, I've hit this brick wall I keep seeing the same things happening. I'm forgetting things. And someone's mentioned to me that I think you may have ADHD. So I am now looking into getting a diagnosis. How or what do I do um, to, to do that? Like, what do I do now? Okay. So if you're looking to get a diagnosis, for, well, first of all, you might want to understand what, what are the symptoms exactly look like yeah. and do you do you resonate with them so how do i how do i do that so there's so much information on the internet there is a lot there is so um, how do i do that so uh, well, on my website i have an online screening test there okay um so it's it, it's a simple screening test it's a tick box um so what is a screening test so a screening test it doesn't give you a diagnosis okay but it it asks you certain questions yeah where if you s score highly for mm meaning you've ticked often or very often, for example, in terms of your experience of those symptoms, would give you a, uh, an indicator whether you should actually go for a formal ADHD assessment. Okay. Yeah. And that screening test that I use on my website is, is quite a well-known screening tool that's okay. used. Yeah. Um, so it's not something that I've just come up with myself. Um, so if you do screen for um, positive or showing that you might have symptoms suggestive of ADHD and you should have a thorough assessment, you can then book online um, on that website for uh, an assessment with myself. Yeah. 
so in a nutshell, you can go in directly see a psychiatrist privately okay. uh, for a diagnostic assessment. Um, if you're going through the NHS, you'd have to speak with your GP. Okay. And your GP would refer you to your local NHS ADHD service. Okay. So say if I've got, um, I've, I've had the referral and I'm sitting in front of someone and they are now diagnosing me. What's the process? What yeah. is the process of diagnosis? Yeah. So the typical process that I use, for example, um, and this is uh, fairly commonly used among psychiatrists, is I would send you some pre-assessment forms yeah. initially. Um, so a few of those forms would be forms that you have to fill out yourself. Yeah. So one of those forms will be a list of potential um, ADHD symptoms. Okay. And I would score those. One of those forms would be uh, anxiety and depression scales, mm. because we do, as I said, commonly see anxiety and depression in ADHD. Okay. So I'd want to know if you're suffering from that, and if so, how high or how you know how mm. severe is that, because it gives me an idea of what I'm managing when I um, see you. Yeah. One of those forms will be a screening form for autism, mm -hmm. because we certainly see a proportion of ADHD patients who also um, may have autism traits of autism as well yeah and i would discuss that in our consultation another form will be uh, about impact of func on functioning mm -hmm. so i can understand which areas of life are impacted for you and how i best manage those okay and then a f final form will be called an informant report mm. where i would need um, two people or yeah. one person even to do two forms based on your symptoms as a child and your symptoms as an adult Okay. So once you have all of that information, we go through a thorough assessment, yeah. then you'll be able to tell me whether I have um, ADHD or not. Yes. And you'll be able to tell me what type of ADHD I have. Yes. But what happens after that? What's, what happens after diagnosis? Well, just on that note, mm. it wouldn't just be telling you whether you have ADHD or not and what type. It's also about, I would do a general psychiatric history. Okay. What's that? So a general psychiatric history, um, is asking about other symptoms that might look like ADHD. Okay. Right? Or other symptoms that we sometimes see that go hand in hand with ADHD. Mm. Right? So we would be screening out for other conditions like bipolar disorder, okay. other mood disorders, um, personality issues, uh, trauma. Mm. Um, Do you see a lot of p uh, misdiagnosis with ADHD or with any other mental health conditions? Yeah, so, well, in fact, one of the diagnostic criterion in an ADHD assessment is this cluster of symptoms cannot be better explained by any other condition. Okay. And that's why, it, from my personal point of view, mm. I'm probably going to get lots of comments about this, I do think a trained psychiatrist should be doing these diagnostic assessments. Yeah. Mm. You see, if you don't tease out the symptoms properly... Mm -hmm. Either you will miss ADHD yeah. or you will actually misdiagnose someone and say they've got ADHD when they might have something completely different. Yeah. And that can be very dangerous. And I'll explain why. We'll probably talk more about the treatment of ADHD, but one of the treatment options of ADHD is something called stimulant medication. Mm. If you prescribe stimulant medication yeah. to someone that has bipolar disorder, yeah they are at 10 times the increased risk of having a manic episode. Okay, okay. You've given them the wrong medication. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Secondly, mm. if they have, for example, any underlying psychotic symptoms which you didn't pick up because mm. you didn't ask for them, you will very highly likely push them into a psychotic episode. Okay. So, so this part of the assessment is really important. Very important. Yeah. Very important. And it really needs to be done, in my opinion, by a trained psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. What other professionals then can diagnose at the minute? Well, at the moment, psychologists are able to, are diagnosing in certain clinics, nurse practitioners, etc. If someone is very highly trained yeah. in this area, mm. or maybe they're supervised with a with a with a sort of consultant psychiatrist, it, it it might still work. Yeah. But I do think you really need to have that general psychiatric knowledge of how other conditions can present. Yeah. And also understanding how medications also work yeah. and how that or what impact that has on the brain as well. Yeah. I mean, there's that phrase, what is it? The the man with a hammer only sees nails, yeah. right? Yeah. That's very much true. If you just do this type of work, which yeah. is fine, you can start to see ADHD everywhere. Mm. And if it's something else and you go and start treatment, mm. you might make things worse. Yeah. That being said, ADHD treatment for ADHD mm is by far the most effective psychotropic medication there is out there. Mm. Full stop. Yeah. But you must make sure that you're treating the right thing. Yeah, no, of course. So we understand ADHD. We know the different types. We also are aware of the diagnosis process, which is really important. Mm -hmm. um, and then once, or do you notice through the diagnosis process, you will follow a certain criteria of what um, the symptoms are present. But do you notice any symptoms that aren't part of the mental health diagnosis that you see in people? Absolutely. Okay. So what are they? In, in, in the areas of researchers, and if you go to big conferences, there are two particular symptoms that we're seeing, well, three actually, symptoms that we're seeing a lot in ADHD, but it's not currently part of the diagnostic criteria. Okay, come on, what are these? So the first one yeah. is emotional dysregulation, okay. is what we mentioned. Yeah. Now, the emotional dysregulation that you see in ADHD yeah. differs from that seen, for example, in bipolar disorder. And I'll explain how. So in ADHD, mm. people will describe highs and lows that are going on within a day okay. and generally in response to an incident. Yeah. So something's happened mm. to that person, to the person with ADHD, it feels overwhelming mm. emotionally they get flooded yeah in certain situations so why does that happen it's because of the inner part of the symptoms that are happening yeah. in adhd yeah is that you're not able to regulate your emotions that's why it's called emotional yeah. dysregulation yeah, yeah. okay because part of coaching we teach people tools to help you regulate these Correct. emotions yeah. yes yeah so exactly that. So again, having the appropriate treatment, yeah, i.e. the coaching, can help with that type of thing. Yeah. So okay. we have the emotional regulation, which is um, not part of a, a sort of the symptoms when it's you're not, going through a diagnosis. It's not criteria. part of the diagnostic criteria. Okay. Now, where that can be a problem. Mm. So well, let's look again at the emotional dysregulation. So someone might say, well, what's the difference between that and bipolar disorder? Mm. In bipolar disorder. People will have episodes of highs and lows or low mood and manic episodes yeah. that are not generally fluctuating within a day. Okay. They'll be going on for weeks 
or months. So that's the main have, difference. That's a big yeah. one. Yeah. So there might be weeks and months of low mood and mm. then high mood or mania. Also, generally in bipolar, there might not be a, often be a trigger for that. Mm. Right. So it, it's just happening, happening. Yeah. Whereas with ADHD, if you if you look into, well, why did you what, what happened? Mm. There was generally a trigger. Yeah. OK. Um, and then they had these highs and lows. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have emotional regulation, which isn't part of the um, criteria. What else isn't part? The second one is the rejection sensitive dysphoria. OK. OK. So this is not even a known psychiatric symptom. But we are seeing this very commonly, more commonly in women than in men. Yeah, I also see that in my work. And when you explain to people what emotional dysregulation is and how it shows up, but also what rejection sensitivity is yeah. and how it shows up, it's like people have this light bulb moment and they're yeah. like, everything starts to make sense. And it's like, finally, the pieces are being put put together. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if that's not part of the diagnostic criteria, Someone might actually just present with those symptoms, mm. right? So they might present with anxiety, yeah. depression, moods going up and down, mm. all the traits of rejection sensitive dysphoria. Yeah. So what will happen to that patient? Well, a lot of the time, these patients are then put on antidepressants. Oh, no. Right? Yeah. Now, just to put a caveat here, antidepressants can be very effective medications, mm. but when they're used for the correct thing. Yeah just as I said, for ADHD medications. So so what happens then to individuals who may present as ADHD and are taking um, medication for, for depression? So let's look at the chemistry of what's going on here. The current thinking, and mm. I say the current thinking because it's always evolving. Yeah. The current thinking in ADHD is that there are two chemicals in the brain that are at low levels. Yeah. Low dopamine and low noradrenaline. Most traditional antidepressants work by raising your serotonin levels. Yeah. So patients will describe essentially feeling emotionally numb. Yeah. Okay. Neither feeling generally happier, they would feel like they can't feel anything at all. Yeah. That's what it will feel like. Yeah. And they'll describe a history of many years of antidepressants, trying different ones, and it ha they f they'll, they'll feel like it hasn't reached the root of the problem. Mm. So it's just sort of putting a plaster on their symptoms. Yeah. Whereas if that same patient, so this is someone who's got depression, anxiety coming out of their ADHD. Yeah. And do you see a lot of people that have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression? Yeah. And then when you're um, going through an assessment with them, you realize what's what's happened. Absolutely. You see much of that. Yeah. So for any GP that might be watching this, a certain red flag is if you've had a patient who's got 15, 20 year history of antidepressant medications, yeah. it might not be a, what's called a treatment resistant depression. There might be something else going on that you should look into here. Mm. Because when you put those patients on stimulant medication, yeah. in fact, one of the most beneficial things that they'll find is not just an improvement of their attention symptoms or feeling less physically restless, some patients will say the most impactful thing of those medications was that I felt emotionally far better, mm. which I've never felt in my life before. Yeah. And that's when you know that that's it was That's powerful, isn't it? it? So yeah. I wonder if um, 
that with when it, when we think of like GPs and them not really understanding more around like ADHD because when people do go to a general practitioner they may go with symptoms of depression or anxiety so do you find that a lot of people are getting misdiagnosed with different mental health conditions where under, under underneath there is ADHD there is a form of ADHD I think it might be getting missed okay. I'm not gonna I mean I don't want the outcome of this to look like well everything's ADHD and it can't be anything else right yeah that's not what I'm saying but I think that there is a lack of training going on here mm. and actually you know I've had you know I know m patients might have come across some GPs where they find it quite difficult because they still got the thinking of well do adults have ADHD yeah and there's a lot of eye-rolling that yeah. happens when people mention ADHD yeah. or but, uh, I, there's an, but yeah. to be fair to GPs I think the tides are changing yeah actually in my experience and actually, I think one area that's very important, and it's the, probably the responsibility of psychiatrists, yeah. is to actually give training at a community level to GPs. Yeah. Because that is the first place of contact for many people, especially if you're going through the NHS route. Mm. You're going to go to your GP first yeah. with your mental health symptoms. So there's lots of ways to, to, to think around how that would look. So one would be training up GPs. Yeah. Another one would be placing either psychiatrists or um, ADHD specialist nurses within primary care. Yeah. Um, but I just think that that is a big one. Mm. You know, if you're seeing someone with depressive anxiety symptoms and it's not being resolved with antidepressant medication, yeah. there could be something else going on. And yeah. I think that question needs to be asked. Mm. And if nothing else, that patient should at least be referred for an assessment. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really important. Um, but I also want to come back to the um, idea of like the symptoms that aren't seen as part of the mental health criteria. So we mm. mentioned there was emotional dysregulation. There's rejection sensitivity. The third one is what we just mentioned, which is excessive mind wandering. Okay. Okay. So, so how does that show up? How does that up? show yeah. up? So sometimes I've had, well, not sometimes, very often I've had patients who will tell me, I can't get to sleep at night. Yeah. Because my brain's not switching off. Okay. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what that might look like is um, people scrolling through their phone mm. till two, three in the morning until yeah. they're physically exhausted and they've dropped their phone by their pillow and they've fallen asleep. Yeah. Or people needing to keep some sort of podcast on or some sort of audio on in the background to help them fall asleep. Yeah. And normally they'll say, it's the same one I put on. Mm. I can't listen to different ones because then I'll just get lost into that. It's the same thing I'll put on. Or having the TV on and falling asleep to the TV. Mm. So the way that that might often present is actually the effects on sleep. Okay. That's very common. Another one that you often see is people say, I zone out in conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that... So, uh, Let's say I'm talking to you, you've latched onto another word, something that I've said, and you're thinking about that, mm. and you're waiting for me to finish yeah. because you want to talk about that, and you've missed the other bits that I spoke to you about. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I also have other people show up where they say that they have the, the art of being able to be present, yeah, yeah. but their mind is thinking about something else, yeah. but they're still able to be physically here, continuing yeah. a conversation. Yeah. And they'll have learned certain and, things yeah, like, uh-huh. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, <laughs> yeah. So... So that's that's that mind wandering. Yeah. One question 
I always ask, and this is not part of any diagnostic assessment, this is just through experience. Okay. I'll ask someone, when you go on the internet, mm. go on your internet browser now, how many tabs are open? If they tell me they've got <laughs> loads of tabs open all the time, yeah, that is a reflection of excessive mind wandering. Wow. That is a visual. I don't want to show you my laptop. Yeah. That's a visual reflection <laughs> yeah. of what of excessive mind wandering. Yeah. Right. So you your brain has gone down a certain pathway. Oh, that's interesting. I'll go into that later. Yeah. Later never comes. You mm. don't go back to it. Go through the next one. That's interesting. I'll open. And that and, and it's and really that's interesting because when we when we talk about ADHD, it's such a big topic at the minute. But underneath ADHD, you've just described all of these different symptoms, but you've said mind wandering, but look how mind wandering actually shows up. Mm. So we we even just use the mind and people will assume, oh, mind wandering is my brain just going into different spaces. Mm. But how is it actually physically showing up and manifesting in everyday life? So just having, because I know that there'll probably be people watching this video thinking, I have so many tabs mm. open. And only then they start thinking, well, actually, I also do this and I also do this. And mm. yeah, we're not saying everything is ADHD, mm. but we're also saying start to notice certain things that might you might be doing and start to understand what are these patterns and why is it that I'm doing certain things the way that I am mm. I think it's really fascinating how we all show up so differently with with ADHD and with neurodiversity absolutely and so I guess what you're what we're talking about here is what's called psychoeducation yeah yes right? so on my website I have um, an area there mm. which I've particularly wanted to uh, put in all about what is ADHD and how the different symptoms might present in different areas of your life. Okay, areas being like your relationships, work, social. Um, how it presents differently between men and women. So how does it present differently between men and women? That's a very interesting question. Yeah, so there's a couple of areas here to talk about. So in women, mm. remember we, we said, originally we said there are three different types of ADHD. Yep. The most common being combined type, the next most common being in a predominantly inattentive type. Yeah. Within the predominantly inattentive type, more women are diagnosed within that type than men. Why? Why is that? So it's just, so the, the gender difference is showing that typically there are more hyperactive impulsive symptoms shown in men versus women. And so, is there so a reason for that? We don't know if there's an actual, what the real biological reason there is going on. Yeah. I think there's still, I would say the, the research doesn't show exactly what mm. that is. And that's because we're still learning so much about this condition. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important point that you've just made is that, yes, there is um, so much new things coming out about ADHD, yeah. but it's a very new um, topic that people are researching in. And could you give me a little bit more information about that, about what research is, is being done or why is it that it's such a hot topic right now? Yeah. So, well, again, on, on my website, I have an actual um, subheading called the latest scientific research. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Um, about ADHD. Look, we have to look at, first of all, the fact that until, what, I think it was 2008, mm. ADHD wasn't even recognized in terms of diagnostic classification in the UK amongst adults. Yeah. So we're looking at a field that's about 15 years old. So it's still very new. It's new. Yeah. So it's a baby in, in, you know, in terms of research. Um, until that point, people were just thinking it stops after your 18th birthday. We now know that at least two thirds of cases are progressing through to adulthood. Yeah. 
Or people are being diagnosed with it later on in life, life. because it's becoming um, sort of more apparent later on in life as yeah. you're going through different things. Yeah. yeah. So in answer to your question, coming back to, well, why are we seeing more of it now? I think, so p people are talking a lot about, oh, is ADHD is being overdiagnosed. Everyone's got yeah, ADHD. There's the eye rolling. There's yeah. a like, oh, here yeah. we go again. Like yeah. we hear, I see it a lot. And I also know of, that's why clients tend to not want to have a diagnosis because yeah. they think, oh, but I, I don't want to be one of them. I don't, and yeah. I'm like, what do you mean one of them? Yeah. Like, I don't want to go through a diagnosis and blame it on, that's why I'm, I am this way. And I'm like, but that's not what's going to stop you from getting the support that you might need. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at that, I actually think, and many of my colleagues think, that it's probably traditionally been underdiagnosed. ADHD is underdiagnosed. It, it has been underdiagnosed. Okay. Meaning it's been missed. Yeah. And we're seeing those missed cases now. Mm. So coming back to women having more women are in the uh, inattentive type group. If you were that quiet, well behaved, yeah, daydreaming kid, you were never going to get picked up at school. Schools have got th an average of, what, 30, 35 kids in a class? Yeah. Unless you're getting into fights and really kicking off, you're not going to get picked up mm. in school. Yeah. So where are you going to get picked up? You're going to get picked up later on in life. Yeah. Right? Where it, When it causes you problems. Yeah. So therefore, that means that that high-functioning group that we were talking about, well, when are they going to get picked up? Mm. You should see. So... People are being missed. Yeah. But it's often when, again, they hit that brick wall, that's when people realise, okay, I need the support now or yeah. I need to do something with this because I don't know what's going on. But that's when they're ready to face what's happening because yeah. often I find with high-functioning um, individuals is they have the one side which is, right, I need to go into this, I need to do this, I need to do this. But they have the other side which is, which are their symptoms, which they may have the mind wandering, they may be overthinking, they may have the rejection sensitivity, but they've learned to cope with that. Mm. But the other side of that means is when they hit because they're burnt out, they're exhausted, they're tired, only then they realize what is actually going on here. Absolutely. But they've just found a way of learning Absolutely. to cope and, and go through that. However, actually certain videos that I've seen mm especially the ones that are sort of by people who have ADHD, just talking about, well, this is what I suffer with, yeah. have been extremely helpful for yeah. many patients. Because I've had many patients that were embarrassed to tell me that they saw the TikTok video of the person talking about their day and their symptom. They're like, that's me. Yeah. Right? And I find that with my videos is, because yeah. I'm quite open as a yeah. professional having a diagnosis of ADHD, I tend to share that and yeah. people are like, I get it. And yeah. that's often why people want to work with you as well, yeah. because they see that you get it, you understand yeah. it and you're Absolutely. not going to judge me and you're yeah. not going to criticize me, but you understand the layers of the way my brain works. Exactly. It, in an uncanny way that other people might not, like I mentioned yeah, about the internet yeah, tabs. Yeah, yeah. You know, that one normally shocks people, right? Because it's like, well, how did you know that? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I guess the social media can actually be a very positive thing. Yep. And obviously you've had celebrities come out, talk about their condition yeah. and that's made people more aware about it and interested about it. Um, in general, I think there's, we're going through this kind of um, wave of, of being more aware about mental health problems in general, yeah. right, which can only be a good thing. There's one massive difference, mm. which is, and we're seeing this now more and more in research and it's still new research, is around how ADHD in women 
the symptoms and the way it presents is linked to the menstrual cycle. Okay, in what way? So we are seeing mm. that at periods of low estrogen, and I'll, and I'll explain this a bit more, there is a further lowering of the mm. two chemicals that are already low in the brain in ADHD. So further lowering of dopamine and noradrenaline, yeah. but also serotonin. And what that can look like is an exacerbation or a worsening of your ADHD symptoms, but also an increase in the emotional dysregulation mm. in women. So there are different times in a woman's life where that's going to happen. Yeah. First one is the first few days leading up to menstruation or the first few days leading up to your period. So what would she expect to see? So in that period, if they have ADHD, they will find that they are far more emotionally dysregulated right? yeah. in that specific period. Um, they will also find that if they've got, for example, inattentive symptoms where they might have managed these symptoms in other parts of their cycle, mm. they just can't do it. It's just it's just a wall that they're climbing, which is just getting higher and higher. Yeah. And that's cyclical, right? Mm. Every month. And then they'll say, well, after my period, after a few days, it just all settles down. Yeah. Okay. That's really intense for someone not to know that they have yeah. ADHD and that's what they're going through yeah. every Absolutely. single month. Absolutely. And then later in life, as they go towards menopause, yeah. as you go towards menopause, you're basically going towards a constant state of low estrogen. Yeah. Right? Until you finally hit menopause, mm. where you stop your periods. Therefore, that those few days that you experience are happening more and more and entirely throughout the month, mm. eventually. Right? This is an important thing to know because the research also shows that with HRT, mm -hmm. as well as with ADHD medication, that can also help improve that emotional dysregulation and ADHD symptoms. This is really important to know, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. I have so many clients that come through um, who it's only through menopause they've started to realize that they yes. have ADHD. Yes. And having information like this can be really helpful. Yeah. So if we then link back to the high functioning, they say yeah. the high functioning woman, mm. right, has managed to get through her education well. Yeah. She's managed to get to a certain level in her professional life well. So when you say high functioning, are we talking about someone who's able to get through yeah. life? Well, yeah. no, but more than that. I mean, you know, like I say, the outward presentation looks like, well, you did well in your school. Yeah. You did. You went but to no a good uni. But no one knows uni. how you did, you know, intense it's been. But, but it's been intense. Yeah. And then when they hit menopause, mm. sometimes they just can't climb that wall anymore. Mm. And that's where I've seen them. Okay. And they've taken time off work. They're completely burnt out. They might even be hitting a point where they're feeling suicidal. Okay. And it's, they just can't do it anymore. Yeah. Like the brakes are just completely falling. It's like off, that, right? that brick wall that yeah, we spoke they've about. Hit it. Yeah. And that is the impact of the hormones where it's like I was coping. It was a struggle. I was coping. And now I'm not coping. Mm. Other times in life where you see this is where big life events, mm. you know, women having children, yeah, young children, it's like, Right, after my first born and after my second born, then it just got too much. Mm. I was completely overwhelmed all the time. Yeah. And it's when you get these crisis points in your life where you come for help. Mm. Right. But uh, this is where, where do people tend to go? They go to the GP and this yeah. is why training and, and just more awareness around this topic Absolutely. is so important. At least to know when to refer. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, GPs need to know how to do diagnostics, yeah. et cetera. But at least to know, okay, there are certain red flags here 
let me go and get them checked out by a specialist psychiatrist, mm. you know, just to see if they can be managed. Or even just doing a screening tool or yeah. something where yeah. it's like, okay, maybe it may be this, yeah. but if we don't know, we don't know, do we? Yeah, so it's absolutely. important to have just the awareness. And, yeah. and this is why I think because it's still such a new topic, and there is so much out there. It's just going to the re right relevant websites and um, getting research, not just from anyone on Google or anyone on TikTok, no. just making sure it, it comes from the right place. Mm. And can that happen where Absolutely. there's ADHD and another mental health um, Absolutely. condition? Absolutely. For example, like what, what do so, you tend to see? So, for example, you might see, you might actually see ADHD and bipolar disorder going on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In those cases, someone has to be very stable in their bipolar disorder, stabilized with a mood stabilizer okay before you would consider stimulant medication because mm. if you give them stimulants like i said before and they're not stabilized with a mood stabilizer you're going to push them into a manic episode wow right yeah so, so the assessment is very it needs is, to be very thorough it has to be extremely thorough yeah. and and not just thorough it has to be done by someone who has that knowledge yeah right because otherwise you're the man with the hammer who's only seeing nails as we yeah. said right yeah so there's ADHD and bipolar you could have. What other mental health conditions can you have alongside so, ADHD? Yeah, so you might see personality disorder, mm. right? Or you might have seen someone diagnosed with personality disorder where actually it might have been ADHD. So, for, for example, one form of personality disorder, emotionally unstable personality disorder, yeah. someone might present as very reckless and impulsive, mm. breaking down their relationships, you know, responding yeah. strongly to certain things within their relationships. Mm. Well, that can look like the impulsive type of ADHD mm. mixed in with the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Yeah. Right. So there could be two sets of things going on or there could be one or the other. Yeah. So you need to know how to manage that. So for a patient like that, mm. I certainly would not just want them to take medication alone. Yeah. Especially if there's a history of impulsive overdosing, etc. Of course. Yeah. I would also need them to be seen by a trained psychologist mm. who not only has ADHD experience, but certainly experience with sort of helping manage personality issues. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just about, therefore, knowing what's going on. Who's the appropriate person that I send them to? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important is knowing, OK, these are the things that are happening, but not just giving that to someone and say, yeah. right, this is what's yeah. going on. It's like, yeah. now what? What do yeah. I do with this now? Yeah. And I suppose you've got loads of information on your website anyway. But when we also see if there, there are things that are happening, at least people know where to go because there's yeah. so much information. Yeah. Often people can get very overwhelmed with it. Absolutely. So yeah. on my sort of homepage of my website, um, I talk about tailoring your treatment to you yeah. and what I really mean in that is not everyone with ADHD has the same issues mm. and that's really important what do you mean like not everyone has the same issues so you might have other comorbid mental health conditions going mm. on those need to be addressed as well yeah and if I'm not going to address them I'm certainly going to refer you to another colleague who has expertise in that area who might then I might do joint working with for example mm. yeah so I've done joint working with psychologists before yeah one person's addressing the personality component and I might be addressing the ADHD medication side of thing yeah and a third person might be addressing your coaching mm. right for your and then everyone tends to work together yeah, yeah. absolutely because otherwise what what can happen is I, um, and I've heard clients or even ask me this question is 
but I don't want to start a game with someone else. I want to yeah. be able to just, you, you know what's happening, yeah. you understand it. I don't yeah. want to go, and when there's shared sort of support there, I think it can really help with the client's journey. Yeah, because then you have a team that's yeah. looking after all parts of you, right? You know, um, but only because now you understand that there's these different parts yeah. and not just being given a diagnosis yeah. and, and that's it, you're on yeah. your way. Yeah. And I suppose from your experience, once someone has a diagnosis, what do you do? What's the post? What, what, what happens post ADHD? Yeah. So we would basically talk about management. Um, so management can look like a few different things. Mm. The first line of treatment, according to the national guidelines, is medication. OK. Right. Um, what medication? Like, what does a medication do to the brain? Yeah. Because often people will say to me, I have clients that will say, but I don't want to lose the hyperfocus, so I don't yeah. want to lose this ability. I don't want to yeah. lose this. So what does ADHD medication do to the brain? Okay. So I've had a lot of clients that say, but I don't want to lose my creativity because yeah, that's, that's yeah. my strength. You're not going to lose your creativity. Okay. It's not going to dull you in any sense. Yeah. So what does it do? It will make you more honed in and productive. Mm. Yeah. So do you remember we, we, we said at the beginning, it's not really a deficit of attention. It's a dysregulation of attention. Yeah. It will give you more control over that remote control where you've got five different TV channels. So going. rather than me holding the remote yeah. thinking, I'm not in control of yeah. anything. Yeah. It's me holding the remote knowing, okay, I can change the channel yes. when I want. And I want to, and I, and I actually need to do this for the next. So medication can minutes. do that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It will also um, make you feel sort of internally calmer. So the brain is not switching between all those tabs. Mm. And it, it can actually focus on one thing at a time. It introduces that pause. Yeah. Right, which is lost in ADHD. Um, it will make you feel more present. So mm. for example, more present in your conversation, more present in your work meeting. Mm. What about with, with memory or with um, forgetfulness? How does that, how does it help with that? Well, forgetfulness and working memory is probably one of the hardest symptoms to treat in my experience with medication alone. And does that come from the same part of the brain? Well, different parts of the frontal lobe of the brain. Mm. But some of those areas, it, it can improve. But in some of those areas, you might also therefore need a, a coach, an ADHD coach, <laughs> to help you give yeah. the skills, yeah. to get you to learn the skills to help with. So with do you always function. take people down the medication route or do you also offer the coaching or do you feel like it could be combined? Yeah, so I well, I think it's horses for courses, right? So it's it's a tailored treatment. So I will always mention because medication is first line recommended treatment and so powerful. I will mention medication. Mm. If someone, um, I, I I normally will not just mention medication alone mm. unless that's someone's preference. Yeah, I think it needs to be combined in adjunction with ADHD coaching in an ideal world. And the research is showing if you combine the two, you're getting better results, which is not really surprising. Mm. We have that old sort of adage, pills don't create skills, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that's true. So your medication is going to help you to a certain extent, but you've had a lifelong history of learning to do things in a certain way. Mm. And some of it needs to be not unlearned, but tweaked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where coaching comes in. Mm. Um and so in an ideal world, I'd like clients to do both. Yeah. What they might sometimes do is they'll try medication first and they're kind of then they'll say, well, I'll see with what I'm left with at the end. Yeah. And then 
go down the coaching route to try see i sometimes have the opposite where people will say i want to try the coaching coaching first first, and let me just see if i'm able to manage some of these symptoms because they didn't know that the about the symptoms and like you said it's trying to tailor to everyone so people will have and and that's absolutely fine yeah and i understand the logic behind that if you've never been on medication in your life you might medication can be quite scary yeah right yeah yeah so you might think you know what i actually want to see if i can learn skills to manage this yeah and then see where I'm at in the yeah. end after that. Yeah, which is totally and learning fine. like coping skills, yeah. but healthy ones, yeah. not unhealthy strategies. Because often you see people using like alcohol to help them yeah. cope with yeah. ang- social anxiety, or you might find them overworking yeah. in order to like manage and yeah. just stop their mind from wandering yeah. by doing other things. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So there's lots of ways. Everyone shows up very differently with yeah. ADHD. And I think once you get a diagnosis, it's not just saying, okay, I have ADHD, it's understanding it now Absolutely. and diving deeper into making sense of how it shows up. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, yes, and that's where a, co- a good coach will also help with psychoeducation. Yeah. This is a chronic condition, right? What do you mean chronic? means that currently there's no cure for this. I can't say you take five days of these tablets, you never have ADHD again. Mm. Your brain structure's changed, et cetera. It doesn't work like that. So do you think there's something wrong when we say ADHD, like you have ADHD? Because often I hear that question is, I'm really ashamed mm. of... Um, sharing my ADHD with someone because people will think that there's something wrong with me so I don't want to tell the workplace I don't want to tell uh, my, my family or I don't want to share it with my partner what what would be your response to that so this is what I tell all patients right mm. this is my anecdote that I'm, okay. I'm going to share here yep. now which you, you get know, a pen and paper yeah, everyone it's my anecdote there are certain conditions mm. right that you're basically born with Okay. Yeah. That you have no control over. Right. So, for example, type one diabetes. These are kids who don't make enough insulin. Yeah. 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 So they need to have insulin injections from a young age to manage their sugar levels. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to tell a kid like that. What's the matter with you? Why are you not making enough insulin by yourself? Mm. Why can't you just manage your sugar levels? What's wrong with you? Mm. If we look at the cause of ADHD. It's, there's a heavy biological component. There are two chemicals that we know of at this stage that are lacking mm. in the brain. They're not, they're either being taken up too quickly and essentially being recycled, yeah. or they're not being produced enough. Mm. So, so how can you blame that person yeah. for, for, for having a sort of essentially biologically wired different brain? Yeah. Right? So do you feel that with ADHD, we're born with it, or do you think it comes from a place of trauma? Because mm. there's a lot of research yeah. um, that I've read and, yeah. and I hear often people say is, yeah. I feel like my ADHD has come from my trauma. Yeah. And what's your take on that? So there's th- this area, so I'm gonna drop a big name out here, is Gabor Mate. Yeah, so Scattered we, Minds. Scattered Minds. Yeah. So if we look at Gabor Mate's theory, well, there is no ADHD and there probably is no mental health conditions. The whole thing is trauma and it's all a trauma response. Mm. My personal view here, um, and I'm not as famous as Gabor Mate, but, you know, my personal view here is it's not clear. It's a chicken and egg and we don't know which one's coming first and which one's coming after, right? Do you mean the trauma and the, the ADHD. ADHD? So is it that you're having significant trauma and that's producing ADHD symptoms. 
or has exacerbated the system. Or, and this is more my feeling, is there a biological condition going on here, which is your ADHD, mm. that then leads you to have little traumas throughout your life which accumulate. So, for example, at a younger age in school, teachers will say, but Lilita's so bright, why can't mm. she just, you know, put a bit more effort in, mm -hmm. right? She doesn't meet her potential, it's such a shame. That's what was said to me. Right? Yeah. Um, why can't she just engage a bit more, mm. right? So that's a trauma, because then your parents will come back to you, like, what are you doing, what's going on, what's this in your school reports, blah, blah, blah. You then get to uni, you're not getting your assignments in on time. Yeah. Or your assignments don't flow, which is yeah. what where, when it's like a bit haphazard, yeah. and again you're getting the same message. But now it might look like, well, no, but are you just a bit lazy? Mm. Lee is just lazy. Mm. She's bright. She's just lazy. She's the same at school. Same thing was happening there. Yeah. Then you get into work. You're not getting, you know, simple things. You're making mistakes with. Yeah. I'd expect so much more of you, Lily. I mean, these are just careless mistakes that you're making, aren't they? Really, and you have that layer errors. of rejection sensitivity Indeed. just oh, there, like watching. It's building yeah. and it's yeah. building and it's building. Yeah. These are all little traumas. Mm. And then that leads you to develop symptoms of rejection sensitivity for it. What is that? Mm. Why do you have a fear of failure or rejection? Because mm. you've had a lifetime of essentially these messages. Mm. What does that do to your self esteem? Eventually, you might start believing those messages and actually yeah. saying, you know what, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe I'm just lazy. Mm. Right? Maybe I'm not trying hard. Maybe enough. I'm not trying hard. Maybe I'm not good enough. Mm. That's the psychological hot thought behind rejection yeah. for it. Am yeah. I good enough? That's at the root of it. That's the root yeah. of it, right? And that's where you then get anxiety and depression. Mm. Oh, I've got this big task at work. I know I'm going to have problems with this one. Yeah. Because this is a pattern. Mm. These are the traumatic patterns. Yeah. So is it that, and this is my view, therefore, that you have the ADHD mm. and that leads to a set of traumatic patterns which evolve the way you perceive yourself yeah. in society afterwards? And I think that's, what, for me, that's more the direction it goes in. That's yeah. my experience. Yeah. And even from my own experience, um, when working with clients, it's a similar thing. It's when they hit that brick wall, yes, it, they've hit that brick wall and they, they come to that standstill, but it's their impact on their low self-worth. It's the impact on their confidence. It's the impact on their ability to do mm. certain things because they've co constantly been told, why do you lose things? Or why is it that you're, you, you're, you're forgetting to do things? Or why is it that you're not able to do this? And it's because no one was given the right support to yeah. be able to help them with what's going on in their brain. And because you mask it really well or you hide it, it becomes part of like the hidden part of you that no yeah. one really sees. And you're just showing up, showing up, showing up. And even the rejection sensitivity, no one will see it. It's not a physical thing. It's not like a broken arm. You can't see it. So no. people often get be better and better at hiding it mm. because they're better at hiding it. No one picks it up. And, and it propagates itself yeah. because your fear, you don't want to look like you're a failure. Yeah. Right? You yeah. don't want to look like. And then you'll avoid, you'll avoid any it. form of rejection. Yeah. So you'll put, you'll take yourself out of yeah. situations yeah. where there might be a potential rejection. You get very, very good at being very hypervigilant yeah. because that's what's keeping you safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So this is all how ADHD shows up in everyday life. And yeah. I think this is where it's important for people not just to look at the symptoms or look at, oh, these are what the symptoms are. It's understanding how does that symptom show up in my life? Absolutely, yeah. Mm.
So I have been diagnosed with, so we've gone through a whole process here. Yeah. The whole process is you've explained to me what ADHD is. You give me the different types of ADHD. Then we understand how it shows up different in men and women. We know culturally how it shows up differently. So is it all happily ever after hmm. once I have a diagnosis of ADHD? This is a great question. I've, I've actually never been asked this question before. This is a really good question. And it's a very interesting one because I'm going to give two sides of this movie ending Okay. that I see. Yep. Okay. On the positive side, you've been titrated on your medication. Mm. You've had lots of coaching sessions with Lolita. I've medicated you. You've done really well. You're in a great place. Yep. You go to work. They're like, my God, you're a different person in the last few months. What's happened to you? You're getting good glowing reports at work. You are finally on top of your uni work. You're doing well in your education. That You've turned a corner. Mm. The teaching reports are showing different things now. Your friends are saying you're more attentive in conversation. Your partner feels that you're more attentive to them. Mm. You're picking up on those household chores. It's like a different person. Yeah. That's the positive side. Okay. So that's the nice ending yeah. with the positive... Yeah. Ending, what's the other side? It's a two-pronged sword. Like most things in life, there's the yin and the yang, right? Okay. And I say this with a smile, but it's a quite serious thing, actually. People experience what, what we call as grief. Mm, and I've yeah. seen this. I see this. It's almost the post-diagnostic depression. Yeah. And I'm not putting people off getting diagnosed I think yeah. it's, it's more important to tackle your problems head on because yeah. but it's good to know about this this stage because then there can be something that can be done for it as well yeah. depending on what age people come to me typically if they came to me at older ages mm. some people will look back on their life and say and I've actually had patients actually really become quite tearful about this and they'll say why was I not picked up yeah. earlier? Yeah, yeah. My life could have been so different. Yeah, and it's that grief that comes up of how it's life a grief could have been. Of, of what life could have yeah. been. Yeah, right? I see that. Now, my response to this is, well, first of all, in many ways, they, they, some people might say, oh, maybe it was better if I didn't know. Mm. No, there's no way that it can be better to live in ignorance. Yeah. Because subconsciously, mm. you know, yeah. you've known your whole life. Why yeah. am I different? Yeah. And often people will say that. I've yeah. always known that there yeah. was something, there was something there, yeah. but I didn't know what it, what was. it was. Yeah. Right? In terms of, there's an element of blaming that comes out there. Yeah. Where people say, well, why wasn't I picked up? But it's also feeling let down, feeling disappointed. Exactly. Feeling, and that's all part of a process. It's that's not right. that you're going to be stuck with these emotions. No. There is a process that you yeah. go through to be yeah. able to just learn to understand, okay, yeah. what is it that's going on? But that feeling of feeling let down, that feeling of feeling frustrated, annoyed, angry. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, let's sit with them and let's understand what these emotions are exactly. saying. And it basically follows the stages of grief. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end where you come to an acceptance. Yeah. Right? And then you can move on. So they're both happily ever after. They are. Yeah. But I, I, I think that's a great question. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to avoid or, or, or paint a different picture of what I see. Mm. You do see that sometimes, especially if patients come to you at an older age with, you know, 
with diagnosis and treatment. Yeah. But I think there can be nothing worse than not knowing that what 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 is that feeling that I've always had? Why did I feel different? Yeah, yeah. I think there's nothing worse to just leave that feeling alone. Definitely, and I think it's also important. Like I have parents that come to me that have had a late diagnosis, but they start to see symptoms in their children. Yes, and that's when it's like it's not also for you. It's also trying to to show up for for kids and letting them know that there's nothing wrong with them so they're not following that same cycle yes so you break those sort of generational thinking patterns you break that trauma a little bit to an extent and actually um you know on that note you know if anyone is watching if you're a parent and your kid your child has been diagnosed just remember 80 percent of cases are genetics in terms of cause so what are we saying there are we saying so we're saying that i'm saying that you should look yeah. into it a bit more yeah yeah you owe it to yourself yeah to at least f- look into it yeah. yeah and not holding on and not wait to hit that brick wall if you yeah. know that there's symptoms there yeah. and you're aware that there's symptoms there and you've got that feeling of i know that there is something yeah. there it's facing that and, and starting yeah. to look in that mirror and don't don't be in denial because yeah. because it will eat away at you mm. eventually yeah and, and and actually more than that this is highly treatable yeah highly treatable that's important. And right. it's also important to say both sides are happily ever after. Yeah. And just learning more about your diagnosis. It's yeah. just learning to understand yourself more and yeah. showing and understanding why you show up in the way that you do. But then knowing, OK, these are the things that I now need to do because yeah. you develop better ways of managing yourself in everyday life. Absolutely. It's a Absolutely. beautiful journey. Yes, yeah. it is. Thank you very much. Um, so if there is someone who has um, di- who is looking or waiting to get a diagnosis and they might be struggling and sitting with not knowing what's going to happen, whether they're going to get the ADHD diagnosis, whether they um, are not going to get it. What would you say to them? Well, I would say is go and see an expert. So Mm. I've worked in this field for a number of years. Um, I've developed a website, which is www.adhdhealthclinic.co.uk. On that website, I not just talk about well just book an assessment with me yeah i think the important thing that's on there is about information yeah and research and research so i've got information about what is adhd and how it presents in different ways in in different settings yeah the gender differences Mm. the differences how it presents at different ages yeah but also um the latest scientific research i've put on there as well so if anyone wants updated. any information about ADHD, please go to Dr. Shire's website because it has all the information there. Um, and just to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I know that it's such a hot topic, but it's so important to understand and hear it from a professional in, in working in the field to understand what actually is going on. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.